2: But I wanted to sit on the air in the bed and say, Dad, I hope I've made your prayer. Sorry, it's emotional. I hope I've made your prayer out of my life. And I I didn't get to say it. This
1: week on Grief Encounters, Venetia and I are joined by
2: the wonderful
1: Brent Pope. You guys know him, obviously, from all his amazing work in the rugby world. But we spoke to him about losing his dad, Mick, and... It's such a beautiful conversation and a real eye-opening conversation around how men deal with grief. And to me, it's a real love story of a father and son and how much they shared. I want to thank Brent for joining us and for being so generous with his story. And I think a lot of people will gain a lot from this chat.
0: Our guest this week is the New Zealand rugby journalist, charity worker and children's book author Brent Pope. He originally moved to Ireland for three months Mm -hmm. and has stayed uh, 30 (laughs) years, I think, at this stage. There's a huge symbiosis between grief and mental health. And in recent years, Brent has done uh, some stellar work in speaking about his troubles with depression and anxiety. Now, last April, Brent's father sadly passed away and he's here to tell us about his beautiful relationship with him and, of course, minding your mental health mm. after loss. Um, And I think the mental health and loss, you couldn't be more right when you say they go hand in hand, yeah. how has that been for you has that Well it's been
2: for you? a lot it's, it's the word that resonates with me the most is is loss. Yeah. Because I always found not much of a difference between love and loss, you know, there's not a lot of difference between mm. them. There's a thin line between the two of them and when you've experienced that sort of in your life uh, they're very you know they's a direct sort of parallel to healthy mental health in that sense you know because how people deal with grief how people deal with loss whether it's the loss of a relationship the loss of a marriage the loss of finances uh, the loss of a loved one it's how we deal with that Mm -hmm. and I haven't always found that easy coming from an anxiety driven background bouts of depression um, then that has been extremely difficult for me uh, to overcome those periods of loss in my life, uh, whatever it is. And, and I mean, especially last year, given the relationship I had with my father and given the regret and given the thoughts of having not really seen their life for the last 30 years, nor have they seen mine. And mm. and we were just talking about it before. It was pre-Facebook days, pre-Skype days, mm. uh, days we used to keep in contact just by a letter or the odd phone call but there's a lot of regret when you lose someone you think oh you know I wish I'd done things differently I wish I'd had a different life to Mm-mm. some regards now I I know both my parents and actually I'm going to have to go through that again I'm just back from New Zealand sort of caring for my mother who's gone downhill pretty rapidly since the death of my father which is not unusual uh, for couples that have spent so long together uh, their loneliness comes to play into play and that can be you know really destructive at an older age so I'm gonna to have to go through that dreaded phone call again at some mm-hmm. stage. And when I heard about my father's passing, it was kind of, I was away enjoying a couple of days off in Portugal. I got a missed call from my brother about, my father had been into a, to a, a home about a year before and was suffering from uh, Parkinson's disease. And I knew I was gonna get that phone call at some stage and I just visited him a few months previous, this time last year and i kind of hoped you know i thought oh you know dad you know we'll get another you know we'll get another 5 years you mm-hmm. know somewhat maybe selfishly thinking that because it wouldn't have been a particularly pleasant experience for him or the family for those 5 years but i thought look and then to get a call a miss call from my brother and then to ring the kind of hospital or whatever and for the young nurse to say look you know your father's gone and i was just devastated
0: and you never feel further away and you never feel (laughs) further away
2: and then I've got to had to go through all this ritual of trying to book flights trying to get back for the funeral because New Zealand's not like Ireland in a sense that you know they've got to get going with funeral arrangements and you know um and someone said something strange to me. Oh, you know, we'd understand if you can't get back. And I thought, oh, my God, you don't realise. People do say yeah. yeah. the funniest yeah. weirdest and thing. And I sort of, of thought, you know, you don't realise what the relationship was mm. With, mm. with Dad and I to know that I would do everything to get back yeah. and to play my part in the eulogy and to be there or whatever. You know, look, I just had to do it. But it was a long way back. And I remember just sitting numb in the plane for 35 hours or something. It was a lovely Australian woman on the plane saw me crying kind of in the middle of the night and she just said what's you know what's wrong and I explained that I was going home to my funeral and it was and she was lovely to me yeah isn't it wonderful that she
1: had the courage to ask because sometimes Mm. people just are too scared to Mm. say anything especially
2: when you're a bigger guy like me and you're sitting there sort of just with your head just sobbing i didn't sleep you know it was anything like that it was very emotional when i you know and i and i know now i'm gonna have to go through that journey again when when mum goes you know
0: can you tell us a little bit about your dad because you have talked about his generosity and Mm. the fact I think he said that he's always helped, always helped people, but never yeah. for personal gain. Never
2: for personal gain. I'd like to think that that has rubbed off on on me. Also, that <laughs> I suppose, you know, Dad was a very anxious man and had had suffered from his own, I suppose, mental health issues. So I've inherited some of that because he mm-hmm. was always a worrier. Uh, but what I like to think I've inherited is a is a is a kind, uh, giving back nature, which he ever was, you know. And I remember even talking at the funeral about memories of my dad helping people. He's very well respected, and he got, uh, both my parents actually have got Queen's uh, medals um, uh, based on work they've done in society. Mm. Uh, Dad, for... I suppose being well respected, it'd be on a lot of uh, boards around town. You know, I used to say they were like the Kennedys and we come from <laughs> a small rural town. Like dad was president of the golf club, mum was president of the yeah. racing club. But dad was on a lot of boards, hospital board. Um, they were involved. Involved, yeah. heavily involved. But the one thing that meant the most to me was he was involved with a access trust that gave people... Uh, a chance in in life Uh, gave them a chance to get a a job or whatever or get their life back on order and I remember being in Christchurch Square one time and I reached I dropped my wallet and when as I reached down for it a big boot the big, what they call hobnail boots in, yeah. in New Zealand, which were big boots sort of with a steel-capped toe, sort of stood right by the wallet. And I looked up, and there was a kind of a gang member, which a fearsome, tattooed Maori uh, gang member, m- member of either the Black Power or Mungo Mob, one of these big gangs, and ta- heavily tattooed on the face. And I was just petrified, I thought, you know. And he looked down at me, said, and he said, oh, he said, you look like Mick Pope or something, which is my father's name. <laughs> and i said yes i said i'm his son and he put out his hand and i remember it being like covered in tattoos or whatever and he said hey bro or something he gave me a chance in life no one else did and nearly brings me to tears yeah. now yeah. telling that story because he introduced me to his two kids then he said you know what he said i'm on the straight and narrow he said i haven't been involved in anything he said when everybody else turned me away your father just said to me look if you can keep your nose clean in this job he said, y- you'll do well. And he said, I've brought up a family. He said, you know, he said, I've got off crime and I've got off mm. drugs and all that. And I thought that was my dad mm. to a T. Yeah. He, and he would do it without wanting anything or wanting praise. He never, he shunned, even when he got his Queen's Order medal, he didn't want to go up and get it. He, he he just said, look, he said, there's other people who deserve it more than me. And it was, we had to prompt them to say, look, but he didn't enjoy, he never enjoyed that side of it. He was a quiet man. But our relationship was strong because I always said, I don't come from a Silver Spoon background. Mm. My father had to work three or four jobs. Um, and that, that made him proud of me. He didn't have to do that because he married my mother and she was from a wealthy family. But my father never wanted to take any of that money, if that makes yeah. sense. He always said, so look, I'll proud. make my own way mm. in life. He was proud. And I used to spend days, you know, he used to be a contract cleaner. He would go to work um, in the morning and then after work, he would go out cleaning buildings or washing windows or cleaning chimneys or anything like that. Mm. And while I was, I'd, I'd say I was a little bit ashamed at school to think that your father was a chimney sweep or something, it was embarrassing for me for a while. And then I just thought, no, damn it, you know, he's a man that's trying to put food on the table mm. any way he can, and that's what I loved about him. I loved the fact that, you know, the easiest thing would have been to do would have been to take the easy money mm. and something. He yeah. said, no, I'll make my own way in life and that must you know. make you very proud. Yeah, now. really proud. Because I'd like to think I've inherited that as well. You know, I'd like to think I've inherited that fact that I've worked hard all my life like he did. And, you know, I'm not I'm not coming from a background that was spoiled, certainly far from it, you know. But uh, but also, I wrote an autobiography. And the sad thing was, he, he, he rang me and I said, Dad, are you okay with everything in the book? And he said, yeah. He said, just don't make me out to be someone that was or whatever and I said no it's not that I said it's actually which was really sort of a sad moment He said, I said no dad I said it's the fact that you worked really hard and that I'm really proud of that you know that that fact that you'd work all out now it meant that I didn't see a lot of my father Mm. in a sense because I always remember he'd come back after work and he'd always bring a chocolate bomb which was a little ice cream into your room and whatever something like that and he'd sit with you something like that and memories actually I was a very sickly child um, mm-hmm. They thought I had leukemia for years or cancer or whatever, and I was always bedridden. I was a bad asthmatic, but the one memory that I have is is waking up in the middle of the night, my father being s- sat on the side of the bed with a rug over him, keeping me safe yeah. and that 's a lovely mm-hmm. image to have of of, of your parent like i 'd wake up and i'd be i 'd be so sick. And I'd just look over, and it'd be it'd be there, him sitting in an old chair with a rug over him, mm-hmm. trying to get some sleep. But just being there, you know.
1: Isn't that such a thing about? Because I think working parents often feel such mm. a struggle of, I'm not there enough, and that's what they're going to remember, and they're going to you know. Mm. But a lot of times, especially in retrospect, when you look back and you think of how hard they were working for yeah. you you don't feel that way at all. And it no, is you those, feel the opposite. You feel the opposite. I mean, my dad was the exact same. My dad came from nothing and he worked, every, I mean, yeah. ridiculously hard. And I would have seen him at the weekend. Probably wouldn't have seen yeah. him an awful lot at the weekdays. But I would see him at the weekend and we would rake leaves because he still had stuff yeah. to do around the house. But he'd include exactly. me in it. The same as me. But looking back now, I think of him, I think yeah. how, first of all, how hard that was for him because now I'm doing it and I'm yeah. working and I'm going home. and So I see it. But, it's not about the loss of time where they were off working. It's just about those special no. moments. It's what you did with the time yeah.
0: you had. And it's yeah.
2: lovely to say because at times, you're probably a bit like me, at times you got fed up and thought, Dad always had work for us yeah. to do. Like it wouldn't matter <laughs> the weekend, you say, oh, he said, oh, come on, Brent, you know, we'll go down and we've got to uh, uh, clean out the rooms yeah. or something down in some <laughs> law offices and polish the floors. So it was hard labour. <laughs> <laughs> cheap labour, though. It was cheap labour. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we used to have, we, we had land uh, and we used to... He planted all these trees, but you'd have to carry the buckets of water like something out of uh, Walt Disney movie. Carry the buckets of water, yeah. and the, the buckets got further from the from the, Every from time. the stream. <laughs> and I remember doing those on hot, stinking hot Sundays, and carrying these two buckets, and that you'd lose half the water by the time you got the swing on. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, special memories when you look back of sort of father and son. Even when he came over here at 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 an advanced age, you know. Um, he'd strap himself up to the roof and that like he was a great handyman he Mm. would always wanted to be a builder um and he went back and i mean he was still working he never missed a day of work you know and he was still working up until his 80s and he would come over and and what i love about my house now in dublin is it was it was something that we shared together you know dad Mm. and son working on their house or something getting up you know we used to Wash yourselves an old bucket because we were living in the house when it was being demolished and whatever like that. And I love those times. I mm. have really fond memories. Mm. Is that uh, something?
0: Do you find the memories make you feel better? Do they make you <laughs> smile, or are there days when the memories are oh, just well, some, some, too some, much?
2: One particular memory it's a, it's a funny story. I had a friend over from New Zealand playing rugby when I was coaching out in Contarf. and Dad came over to and he loved building fences, that was his thing, you know, and he was he would be meticulous. if he was out by two inches, he'd have to redo <laughs> the <over>. whole. <laughs> but anyway, we were sitting we were sitting at time just waiting to go off to rugby training, and we could see Dad out the back digging yet another hole for for a fence and he was attacked by a a, a bee or a wasp and that wasn't the funny thing but it was his reaction because he tried to run away from it and obviously the bee like sometimes happened followed him right and I could see him out there running around the backyard (laughs) with this bee sort of trying and then he went to sort of kick kick out at the bee yeah. or something. And he he strained he strained a muscle in a very delicate area. So that was fine. So he came in cursing and blinding or something like that. And and what you did in that generation is he 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 strapped a packet of peas up near his <laughs> groin area for the for the sort of you know that was it yeah. and I could just see him on the couch with this packet of peas <laughs> with the with a bandage round or sock or something keeping it in place to get the icing. Well, when we come back from training, what did he have on the tea for dinner? Oh no, was peas. <laughs> and I remember this guy's like "Hey Mick, they're not the same peas that you had, yeah, <laughs> 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 Stuck up more or less under your underpants." <laughs> yeah what's wrong with them in a plastic bag? And stuff. so we shunned the peas to them. But that was dad, you know, like he, that was just him. He was just a, and people in Ireland loved him. And he loved coming to Ireland because he was such a chatty guy. And he'd go down to the shop and he'd talk to all the girls down there or something and they'd love Mick, you know, and they said, oh, when's Mick coming back? And I remember coming back one time from work and there he is uh, going up the hill with um, um, a, a wheelbarrow full of uh, timber uh, with the travellers who are having their big bonfire, and you know a whole line and behind Dad walking up the hill <laughs> and that, and. They would call around to the house, uh, you know, for, for years after that and say, Is Mick still here? Because, you know, there was no judgment in his life. Mm. There was no criticism. And he just said, Hey, these guys are great uh-huh. young kids. He said, I'm going to go out and help them. They need a bit of a few fire, off cuts for the fire or something <laughs> like that for the bonfire and that. Yeah. And he, yeah, that was his nature. We could and all learn a lot from him. people like yeah. that. Yeah. No we judgment, like... Dad. Did, yeah. Didn't It wouldn't matter. He was He was quite happy talking to gang members or addicts or those people he he was a christian man he he faith faith made him very non-judgmental and i like to think i'm the same you know that he could talk to people in fact he didn't like going to events and that that you know he he might be getting awards or something. He just felt difficult around mm, people that would. But that's
0: would, also the anxiety coming yeah, up as well.
2: Yeah, he'd be amazed. Okay. you know, I, I, you know, these are not my people or something. I don't, you know, I don't come from money or I don't come from stuff like that." And and but very, yeah, very proud. And I I I loved him dearly and I miss him. you know. Mm.
1: Just on the anxiety and grief, mm. um, I suffered very badly um, from us. Um, I, and I found that very unexpected. Yeah. I really thought that it was going to be sadness and manifest in yeah. sadness or maybe depression. Um, but I didn't expect no. not being able to sleep, panic, yeah. fear, um, walking down the street and being very disconnected from my brain, like feeling yes, like I was watching myself mm. and things like that. And I found that very frightening mm. because I did had no guidebook. I obviously saw, you know, people, we all have anxieties yeah. in different levels, but, but nothing not that on later. that level. Mm. No. Um. Did it kind of heighten for you, or had you learned tools at that point to? Yeah,
2: well, that's a really good point because that I like the fact you would use the word disconnection because that's how you feel. i had had a life of panic attacks, whatever. So I knew that disconnection feeling and it's hard to describe to people. It's hard to describe to people when you're kind of looking down at somebody else completely and you're saying, you know, all these things that you put into place about shouldn't worry or, you know, what's the worst that can happen, all these tools that I have, it still doesn't take away the fear that when you're, you know, I often use the U2 song, caught in the moment and can't get out of it. Mm. Um, And that's what it's like. Mm. Um, And more for me was... I suppose, um, yes, I really went on a bit of a spiral, uh, you know, in a sense of kind of regret again and the loss. And it would hit me at different times because it hit me originally straight away, obviously getting that call in Portugal. I was just I I did. I didn't know what to do. I went into the panic stage of all that sort of anxiety of 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 not believing. You know, this can't be happening or this hasn't happened or there's been a mistake or dad hasn't gone or I haven't had the chance to say I love him. And and that's a regret, you know, like because the Christmas before... I wrote a lovely note to my brother because I'm so appreciative of what he has done because he's back in New Zealand and I couldn't have done the same thing he's doing, organising the funeral, all those mm-hmm. things, you know, like even when I'm back this, uh, uh, this year, organising things with mum, his role has been carer, so in some ways I feel guilty because I can sneak back to Ireland, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean, but yet they would w- want me to make my life where I made them. Uh, But I went all through that and I went through and the one regret was I had, I was going to, when dad was with Parkinson's, he wasn't, the conversations weren't free flowing as they'd be or that he wouldn't recognize you sometimes or he wouldn't have the memories and that that's the unfortunate thing about dementia and Parkinson, anything to do with that. But getting on the plane, I just said, you know, you didn't tell dad you loved him and what he meant to you, but you'll do it next time. And it wasn't a next time. Mm And, like, he knew I loved him. Of course, yeah. And he knew that. And he would always be very upset when I was going back, um, apart from the last time, because he didn't know the upset anymore. Like, he'd always take me up to the airport, and he'd always be in tears and say, I love your son, or whatever, and, you know, I wish you were here. But he said, I understand, mm-hmm. until the last time, because he didn't really, he couldn't get the dates or was I going back or where I was and he'd be getting me mixed up with my brother and stuff like that was fine but I wanted to sit on there in the bed and say dad I hope I've made your prayer sorry emotional mm-hmm. I hope I've made you proud of my life and I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. get to say it yeah. so I went through all that I went through probably more the depressive side of feeling alone feeling loneliness thinking I didn't give them grandchildren I haven't been married all those things I was pretty hard on myself for the last maybe six months and it was a hellish year uh, last year and you know I mean trying to trying to put all those things together and going to see a therapist which I had to do to say look you know don't be so hard on yourself you know all those all those emotions started coming at me full time and then suddenly when you just thought you're getting to terms with it something else would come in you'd see a movie or hear a song and i'd go back into that Mm. place and i'd go back and i'd have to sit alone and i'd be crying sort of and i'd just say god you know dad i miss you and stuff and you know all these things like you know and i remember i remember something as simple as people say whether it's i remember about two two months before dad passed away i had a photo of him on my locker and the photo fell off and broke yeah, and just those weird I things know. that happen. And I looked and I know I know, yeah. I know look mm. but it was just kind of, you know, was that a sign? I do I do get increased spirituality. I do look to God and say, Look, you know, I hope you're looking after Pops, you know, mm. like it's it's I do spend moments of time saying, you know, where are you? you know, are you safe you know are you happy you know all those things so you go through a lot of emotions yeah. you know but the first one i suppose is devastation and not having your own family it's lonely it's acute loneliness yeah. in, in my life and i look i look back and i say i'm 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 alone i'm alone yeah. you know
0: when I'm out like I can be out with like loads of best pals yeah, yeah, or whatever. I get it. But you're just no you're you're you're, s- numb. you're uh, they're there. Yeah. Um, no exactly even though you're physically there. Exactly. You're actually over there. Absolutely. And that I don't I mean I think that takes yeah time to to it go does, away. And, yeah.
2: And you say that and when I came back when I came back here I was I was exactly that. I was out with friends. we had gone to watch, I think, one of the lengths of the match and I just had to apologize. I was talking to a couple of people and I just I Mm. just broke out in tears, Mm. you know. I just, I just something just hit me, and I just said, "Look, I'm sorry." I said, you know, uh, they didn't know, you know. We're were not saying they're a stranger, but they didn't know. But to see this (laughs) grown man sitting in Mm. front of them just sobbing, and I said, "Look, I've got to go home." I said, "I lost my father not so long ago, and it's just, it's something. is just, it comes in waves Mm. and people will tell you that." I think
1: that's really good that you were able to say that out loud, though, Mm. instead of making excuses, because I think when you start to Play into that, then people don't have a real view of what life is like after you. You know, you've gone through something. Mm. If you are able to say, and it can be a hard thing to say, like, "Look, this happened, yeah. and I can't be here right now." But on the side of regret, I would be interested in knowing if you have found any healthy ways of dealing with it. Because one, people, in, especially on this podcast, we've mm. noticed like it's the it's the hardest area mm. to go to, yeah, because you can't change it, no. Um, I have just when you said about your dad when you'd say goodbye I have all my emails from my mother at the end she says I wish that you'd move back here I wish that you were here Mm. why don't you come home yeah and I actually don't read them because every time I read that line or that thing you're you know there's just this this shame and regret and um, hits you right you know it does have you found any healthy ways to deal with regret do you know like
2: yes and no I think that the thing to to realize is that what what they would have wanted for you in your own life? Yeah. I don't think. I don't think any parent that loves their children doesn't think. Okay, you know, I just wanted them to be proud of me, or proud of of the life that I've made over here. Yes, regrets in the sense that, you know, like like me, they haven't seen the best parts of my life yeah. because I found a card the other day. I sent. I was just um, thinking about it the other day. I found a card when I was back in New Zealand. I sent to mum signed off as the Irish Wolfhound and it was nearly 30 years ago and I wow. said I, and I just moved over here at the time and I said don't worry you'll be seeing me soon I'm, I'm I'm, not about to stay here and I thought you know she was the same just about the same age as I am now yeah. mm. and, uh, and that really hit home and, and for that I have regrets but I use I try to I try to reframe things and I try to reframe things. I use a lot of that in my in my life, and think that okay, you know, I, I live a I live a lot of my life out of inspiration for my father. If that makes sense, uh, you know, I think what what would Dad do now? Like, how mm. would Dad how would Dad look at this? How would Dad say, "Look, Brent, don't worry. You know, things will be okay." Or you know, be kinder to someone, or give back, and all those things. So I live a lot of I live with my lot of my good points in my life. Uh, through him yeah. and I think that's a way of kind of dedicating a memory to somebody and saying he still lives in me and in that way and that's made it a little bit easier I do realize there's going to be waves of times and I just say daddy oh I miss you you know like mm-hmm. there'll be times like that that when I get upset or when I'm a bit down or whether something's gone wrong I probably look to the heavens and say you know just keep an eye on me you know mm-hmm. if, if you're there and we'll get through this together so there's ways of do de- I don't know whether you deal with Everybody has to find their own way, Uh, you know, like, I mean, some people are, some people are ripped apart for a long period of time. Other people can seem, what I do know is that it is unfair to judge how people look at grief. I was very grief stricken and I wrote about it on Facebook and I wrote these lovely sentiments to my dad's because that's the way that I felt. And I knew then that everybody grieves in some way. And a woman came up to me at one time. She said, Brent, that was that was so lovely what you said about your father. She said, but I didn't actually grieve my father until about two or three years yeah. after it. Mm. She said, I was I was hurt. I was angry that he had left me mm. and all this. And she said, I couldn't grieve on the day of the funeral. And I thought that was strange. But now, now I get it. People yeah, grieve yeah. in different ways at different times. Yeah. And they should be allowed that. Because, I mean, that's
0: one thing I think we've learned yeah. in the last year in a bit is that everybody there's no right or no, wrong there's no right or wrong and there's wrong. no template and it's however yeah you deal with it and some days some you don't want to sign and the next day Absolutely. you're sitting on the kitchen floor. And some people don't want to uh, you know, see it. You know, they keep momentous and they keep yeah. things
2: and they say look you know, yeah. they haven't gone away at all like that no. and that's that's a block of a certain kind. Mm. And it's only so. and you often get you often get because I went back and trained as a as a psychotherapist. So you know I remember a client coming to me about a year ago and he just said to me, Brent, he said, I still, he said, I'm 60 years of age. He said, I still drive around to my mother's house and I sit outside. And he said, I've never grieved her death. And he said, I've never grieved. Her. And that might have been 20 years on or something. Yeah. And he said, he said, I want to let go. I, yeah. I, I, I need to let go. But there's different stages of grief and there's different stages of how people take it. We all know the stages, you know, that are written in books, but mm. that doesn't often... Yeah. And imagine, you know,
1: 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when being really vocal about your feelings probably wasn't as accepted, um, a lot of grieving and grief must have been done very, very internally Mm -hmm. and privately without any catharsis of, you know. And unfairly, Mm.
2: unfairly when you're talking about, when you're talking about, you know, I don't want to get into that topic for this, but, you know, when you talked about people taking their own lives or whatever, which is, to me, the saddest thing. You know, that again, you're caught in a moment and can't get out of it, but you couldn't talk about that Mm -hmm. years ago. You couldn't talk about people that had chosen to to end their life that way. Now I come from from a totally different angle and say it's all about, you know, opening up and talking and being honest with your feelings and saying, yeah, I've had a, you know, I've had a tough time. And, you know, I'm finding it hard to get through this, mm. but be able to go to friends or be able to go to people and loved ones and say, mm. because I grew up in a generation where you couldn't say that. And, yeah. it, and that's, that's even goes back to sitting down and telling my dad, hey, dad, you know, I love you and you've made such a difference in my life. And that's what I wanted to say, but it wasn't that generation. Yeah, you it's know, harder to do because it. Because I yeah. remember the loving thing. Once you realize your parents love in different ways, and I remember even when I wrote my book and I talked about my own mental health, and I remember watching TV one night and he just put his hands on his shoulder and looked at me and a tear teared his eyes. He said, I wish I could have helped more, son. And to me, that was more loving than than yeah. because mm. I knew that was a that was a, a huge thing for him to say. Mm. You know, he was He's a macho dad, guy so, yeah. and he just mm. he, he got it. Mm. Uh, Can you know? I ask
0: you about um, the anxiety? And we're talking about mm. um, expressing how we feel as adults, especially if we feel anxious or we're feeling mm. that sort of the fear of grief and all that new fear. It brings the might have experienced before anxiety in kids and how that manifests itself and their yeah, inability to communicate yeah. why they have that pain in their tummy or why they react it's difficult the they do. and it's
2: a very difficult issue it's a very difficult issue about how children deal with grief or what as parents uh they should do a device it's 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 really i suppose in a situation is really my advice in that sense is is for people not to be so scared to go and see a therapist to go th- through and see that their children are, um I suppose, going through grief stages in the right way. It, because it's very hard to know with children. Like I don't have children myself, but you know they're at an age where they would bottle things up. Mm. I know. That, look, people I know are talking about things, uh, mental health and all that. You know, but we're only still scratching the surface. Mm. You know, I mean, when I go out and talk to, to men especially, I say, look, okay, let, let's let's lose the BS here. Do you still have a problem talking to your wife or your kids or things about issues in your life? And 80% of them put up their hand and say, yes, we still have a problem because it's deemed to be mm. a show of weakness. Um, and children, they don't have that weakness in a sense, but they can also grieve years later mm. about things that, you know, you don't think you think... You know, I get a lot of parents who come to me and say, you know, but this happened ten years ago. They lost their granddad or something mm. like that. But now they're grie- They're only grieving now. Mm. So it's a very, it's a very tough and difficult mm. area because, you know, I've seen, I've seen that grief around schools or whatever. I mean, we're now going through this, you know, horrible situation now with these three young mm. uh, children, yeah. and that that brings up grief for anybody concerned in that you know there'll be children going and saying like I just don't understand mum from that didn't even know they just don't understand yeah. uh, so that's a very it's a very thin <laughs> look it's just reaching out for help at that situation that knowing that it's uh, the, the best advice I give is really just the same It applies to anybody who's mental help that you know it's okay not to feel okay we all don't feel okay we all don't have perfect mm. lives at any age but you know, that really you need to seek help and you need to be have the courage and bravery, I suppose, and the skills to say, look, I need help through this. And as parents, they need to be able to say, look, I need professional mm-hmm. help to know that my child is dealing with g- grief, of the loss of a father through a terminal illness mm-hmm. or a mother through an illness or somebody has taken their lives or even an accident or whatever like that. You know, you look at... Yeah. I think it, it
0: also creates, I think, for the future as well, a sort of normal normalcy for... Them. I mean, my youngest son has severe anxiety mm. at the moment. And he actually turned around a couple of months ago and said, him, Oh, my favorite song is You Got a Friend and Me from yeah, Toy Story. Lovely. And I was like, Why? And he said, mm. Because there's a line that says, You've got your troubles and I got mine. And he said, And I just went,
2: isn't okay. that lovely we're get, but we're yeah. getting somewhere absolutely know, we can identify it? that yeah. that's but that is so powerful yeah. yeah and I just sent a song I, I always listen to a song called uh, Always Tomorrow by Gory Estevan years ago yeah. because the line people resonate with lines yeah. and things that keep them going and it's and, and for me it's it's you know I'm going to be better, and there's always tomorrow. And I sent it to a friend of mine that's struggling in in the States, and she just came back and she said, oh, my God, I listened to that song. She said, I cried because she said, I realised that there's going to be a better day for me tomorrow. And music with young people or those sorts of things are so powerful mm. that was, they can take that one line. Yeah.
1: I was listening to a podcast. Um, I, I don't know if you know Brene Brown at yes, all. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I kind of – I've only just gotten into her, yeah, right? Yeah. But I'm like yeah, I know. Yeah. knee deep now. Yeah. Was, she was talking – she was on the Dak Shepherd podcast, and she, he was saying the one thing he's taught himself to get through – um his anxiety is this is temporary this is temporary yeah, this is absolutely. Te- that, and just that that's like his Keeps mantra mm. and it was just so simple and it totally makes sense but ever since i heard it absolutely i like feel i feel so empowered you know, when i'm in situations go this is temporary this is temporary this is temporary whatever's happening right it. this day this minute mm. Um, well, I, it's I amazing always, how sometimes and I say to
2: people it's only thoughts Yeah. and people look at me and I say it's only thoughts yeah. it, you yeah. know that's all it is I mean be anxious about something that's actually happened but <laughs> most anxiety is driven of the thought of what's going to yeah. happen or the thought of, of regrets or the things like that but they're only thoughts and we can reframe them we can change them because you can look at different ways of, of your mm. life and you can look at it and say okay What I have to do, for instance, if I am an anxious, the first thing I do, apart from getting the breathing and the sort of meditation that, is I write down what it is that I'm really worried about. And then I write down beside it, what's the worst that can happen? What, you lose your job? Mm. Uh, Isn't there a chance you get another one? You know, you break up a relationship. Isn't there a chance you'll find someone else to love? Mm. You know, all these things. And when you, when you peer it back like that and say, really, you know, where are the facts behind it? that everybody thinks you're this type of person no that's not the facts at all
1: no I you even know. remember thinking I used to do that as well and write down you go to jail or you get yeah. fired but even then this year we, I spent some time in a, in a prison doing a podcast and even in I was mm. actually like really surprised at how much hope there was absolutely. in the prison. So I mean, Even if you ended up in that situation, which is the worst possible situation, yeah. there's actually hope living in there as well, which is so Of course, because they like, say,
2: look, I've I, I got through this, yeah. I can get through this, yeah. and I can be a better person at the end of it. Even if so, I have
1: to be there forever. Absolutely. Yeah, it's. it's and there's pretty- always
2: hope. I mean, even when you talk to people, I've dealt with a lot of people through my talks and, and, and that sort of environment, also people that maybe have terminal uh, diseases and stuff like that. And at a stage, they come to the thing as, they, they okay, you know, it's a case of making the best of your life. You know, it's a case of, yeah. you know, there'll be hope. They'll say, look, you know... It's given me hope to do things that I I never thought I'd do, to travel the world, to go hang gliding, whatever it is, there's hope hope out there. And I I keep saying that to people. I keep saying that, you know, again, going back to that U2 song, for for most people there that are in that situation where they're having morbid thoughts or whatever, they're just stuck in a Mm. moment. They're stuck in a moment. They they, they feel trapped, whether that's five minutes, five weeks, five years. They just feel that this can't go on. I can't live another day without my wife. I can't, you know, I can't go. back to my partner tell them I've lost my job I can't but if they just reframe it for that moment and saying is this the worst thing and if you can get through that then you can get through anything so it is a matter of just simply saying this is temporary these are only thoughts you know these are not facts they're not you know and reframe it and people can learn all those types of skills to get over anxiety because anxiety is just a thought pattern it's coming from a fight and flight you know get worried about this it hasn't even happened you know
1: Thank you so much for joining us. I think even that last bit there is really so helpful for people. Um, And thank you for sharing the story of your dad. Oh, no, thank you. Um, I wish I got got to meet him. He sounds like a really great guy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks.
0: Right at home.
1: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years.